What's up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. Today, we have a fantastic episode. We've got Shudanke Johnson being interviewed by Bart Shaw, and they're talking about the importance of prayer and fasting in disciple-making movements. So that's something that we are longing for and praying to see in this country. You know, there's, I don't know if you've noticed, but the country is chaotic right now. And the answer is Jesus. And the way that we get those things to start moving and happening is through prayer and through fasting. And if you're somebody who grew up like me, I'm a Southern Baptist boy. That's what I grew up in. Um, we love our food. We love our Wednesday night potlucks. And so giving that up to pray seems a little foreign. But hearing Shadanke's stories of his church and the miracles that they've seen and the way that the Spirit moves before us as we do this are incredibly inspiring. Let's let Shadanke challenge us today with using these tools as we pray for our country and our neighborhoods and our family members and our children. Let's begin to shift the culture of our church to revolve around praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. And let's just watch what he will do. Let's listen to the episode, everybody. Good morning. You guys awake? Waking up. Hopefully you guys got a chance to get some coffee. I know we'll probably have some people rolling in here this morning. And I think we're also on the live stream. So for whoever's watching now or in the future, we're glad that you're here as well. Um, my name is Bart Shaw. I get to serve here at Traders Point as our discipleship pastor. Uh, and uh, I have the opportunity to kind of serve as an MC for this breakout session throughout our event. Uh, yesterday, Bobby Harrington did a great job of setting the stage for us on disciple-making movements around the world and uh, what it looks like here in the States and some of the trends and things we can do to tar- start taking steps into making movement where we are. Uh, so that was a great way to kick it off. Um, today, we're going to talk with my friend Shadanke Johnson here, who uh, is leading a large disciple-making movement in West Africa. We're going to talk about the critical role of prayer and fasting uh, in, uh, in disciple-making movement and how that really is what fuels disciple-making. Uh, I'll read a little bio here uh, on Shadanke as we get going. I know he probably doesn't need introduced, but um, I want you to kind of get a little bit of his context. So Shadanke Johnson is a part of the core team of New Generations. He's responsible for the mobilization of intercessors across all regions and the training of disciple-making movement leaders in the pioneer places where the gospel has never been, has never flourished. In addition, Shadanke provides DMM training for movement-minded ministries around the world. Shadanke is also a leader of the, the leader of New Harvest Ministries in Sierra Leone, West Africa. New Harvest is an indigenous DMM organization that plants churches throughout the region and incorporates a wide spectrum of ministries, such as compassion, business development, leadership development, skills training, and advanced education. So could you just uh, give a nice warm welcome to Shadanke this morning for being here with us? We're talking about the building blocks for disciple-making movement, and we know that probably the most essential building block is often, for us, the most neglected, which is prayer and fasting. And so we're going to talk more about that today. First, Shadanke, I just want to hear a little bit more about your story. I think it'd be great for our people to know um, how you became who you are. What was your upbringing? Um, How did you come to know Jesus? Can you fill us in on that piece? Yeah, good morning. (laughs) Yes, I, I come, I come from a, a very interesting background. My, my father was a Methodist and uh, my mother was a Muslim. So I come from that background. My father, he, he was a Creole by tribe and my mother is a Shabru. 
the Creoles are the generations of the returned slaves that uh, went back and then they bought a land for them that is called Freetown. So our cities, one of our cities is called, the main city is called Freetown. So my dad come from that background of a Creole and my mom is from the island along the Atlantic in a district called Bonds. My mother is a Shabro. Somehow, by divine arrangement, my father fell in love with my mother when he traveled into the protectorate along the Atlantic, and that's where he fell in love. But uh, because my mother was coming from a Muslim background, they refused to give my mother to my dad. But my dad kept on coming and knocking door and knocking door, and my dad could not take no for an answer. He was very persistent. And finally, the family said, okay, we'll give our daughter to you to be married, but on one condition, that you will not convert our daughter to become a Christian. My dad was so much in love that he accepted the condition. And that we are products of that marriage. We are eight in the family, four boys and four girls. When we were growing up in the home, we went to church. But my mother was still a Muslim while we were growing up. So eventually, um, I grew up in the church, going to church every Sunday. My father had a definition of the Sabbath. He had his own definition of the Sabbath. And for my father, you know, on the Sabbath day, we will not do anything. We do all our laundry, all the ironing, all the cooking on Saturday. Then on Sunday, all we do is get breakfast and go to church. Mm-hmm. And we were the first people to be in church than any other person. We are so early because that is my father's own definition of a Sabbath. Everything you do, the Sabbath is for God. So you use it for God. So we are always in the church on time. In fact, there were times when we were in the church, even earlier than the janitor. So we did not compete for the front row. We were always sitting in front, in the front pews. And eventually, anytime we go to church, my dad would tell me, look at the pastor. Look at the pastor. So we sit in front. Even when you want to move your head like that, my dad would say, no, look at the pastor. <laughs> so, so eventually, I will look at what the pastor is doing. If it is a, a Sunday where they are giving communion, when I go back home on Monday, I will ask my mom, please get some bread for me. And my mom will get the bread. And on Monday, I will call all the kids in the neighborhood and I will begin to give them bread. You know, just what I, what the pastor, I saw the pastor do in church, I would do. So I tell people, I started giving communion long before I was even ordained. <laughs> so that is a journey. But eventually, I went to a high school, and in that high school, I had an encounter with a Bible study group that is called Scripture Union. And through Scripture Union, my passion for, for the Bible, my passion for God started to grow. And it was in that Scripture Union, while I was there, I was invited by a friend to go to a church outside of my own traditional church. So I went to this church. It was a youth thanksgiving. And there was a guy who came to preach. His name is Claude Gray. And he preached about the lost tribes in our country, especially in the north. He categorized all of these lost tribes. And I was so moved and touched. Something just moved me. And I was saying, wow. So there are still people who don't know Jesus. And at the end of his preaching, he made an altar call. I had no idea about altar call. That was my first experience. He said, is there anybody here who wants to be trained 
to become a short-term missionary in the north for a few weeks. He said, we will train the person and send them to the mission field. And so I put up my hands. And I was saying to myself, who will hear a message like this and don't respond? So I, he said, please stand up. I stood up and he said, come in front. I never knew that he was going to say that. Because if I knew, I was not going to put up my hands. But at the end of the day, when I came in front, I was the only one. So I said to myself, what have I done to myself? <laughs> so that is how my missionary journey started. So I refer to myself as accidental missionary. Mm. I never planned it. But from that moment, I started walking in the north among the unreached tribes. And I fell in love with them. I fell in love with their culture. I realized that the people were lost and they needed a savior. And that God has brought me there as a way to help them. So eventually, that started my life journey with the Lord and my missionary journey, and the rest has become history. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Thank you, Shadonke. So I would, I would love for you to share with us a little bit more about what your ministry looks like today. So you started off as a missionary, and then you became a pastor and leader of this movement. What does it look like today? I'm sure it's very different than what our church structure looks like, but tell us a little bit more about how you guys are making disciples. So um when we, we started the discipleship process, we are just, we started like a traditional mm-hmm. church. You know, that was what I knew. We planted church, maybe two churches per year, and then it would take, maybe the other year we'll plant another church. So we had like nine churches. In 2005, I was, um, I had an opportunity. I came to the U.S. Uh, my, my adopted son was having a plastic surgery on his face uh, because he was affected by the war. And while we were here, a friend of mine called Jerry Trousdale, you know, told me that there is this class on perspective on world missions. He said, will you want to attend? And I said, okay. So that's how I started going to this perspective class. And there was a man who came to teach lesson 13 on spontaneous church growth. Mm -hmm. His name is David Watson. So he came and he was sharing his experience about what is happening in India among the Bujapuri tribe. And all what God was doing among them. And I was so moved. I was moved by what he was saying. At the end of the lectures, I went back at the backstage and I spoke to David. And I said, David, I'm very interested in what you are saying. And can you coach me? Can you mentor me? I want to hear more about this. And so that's how David Watson started to tell me about what they're doing and all the strategies. And so I eventually decided this is something I want to do. And... I went back home with the help of um, City Team, an organization called City Team. David Watson went to Sierra Leone. And I brought all my leaders. We did the training. Of course, some of my leaders said, this doesn't make any sense. Hmm. We can't be part of this. So they left. But in March 2005, we started the process. We had faith. We started with prayer and fasting mm-hmm. and then started the process. Mm-hmm. And through that, we targeted every tribe. Our first Target was, we have 22 tribes in Sierra Leone. So we said we are going to target every tribe. For the first one year, our goal was to reach out to every tribe. And after one year, we had a lot to celebrate. Because God went ahead of us and we succeeded in reaching every tribe. Mm. At least there was an attraction from each of these tribes. Disciples made from every tribe. And then we said, okay, now we are going to make sure there are a lot of multiple churches planted among these tribes. And we did that, and then we took every district. At that time, we had about 12 districts in our country. We went to every district, and then we started to go to every region. 
So eventually, then we went to every chiefdom. Chiefdom is like a county here. Mm-hmm. So we went to every chiefdom in our country. And eventually now, we said we'll go to every tra- every village where there's no Jesus option. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, we started to see the multiplication. Leaders were raised. And while we were doing this, we realized that compassion became part of it. Mm-hmm. Because we'll go to some communities... I mean, the people have to walk like the children will walk like six miles, seven miles in the morning to go to school. And they walk seven miles back. And we started to say, you know, we, we can provide school for them. Mm. So we started schools under trees. Just under trees, we brought the kids together. And we had some church planters who are also trained teachers who volunteered to come and teach. Mm. Today, we have about, 100 and, about 112 schools all over the country and in also Liberia. We have schools all over the place with more than 20,000 children in these schools. Wow. You know, and we also started to provide safe drinking water. Some of them had to walk miles. Some of them would take water from the stream. And so we brought water, we would hand dog wells that mm-hmm. we did for them. And all of this became a platform that opened the door for the people to want to hear the Jesus story. And anytime they hear the Jesus story, it had an effect in their life. It affected them personally. And they said, how can we become followers of this Jesus? Mm. And we were able to tell them what they are supposed to do. And that led to discipleship groups and led to churches being planted. Mm. And so we did a lot of uh, worlds, more than, currently more than 300 worlds that we've done in communities where there was no safe drinking water. Mm. And we also started to help them with seed. Some of the people, especially in the difficult areas, they were agriculturists, but they had no seed to plant. So we said, okay, what can we do? We'll collect some of our offerings and then we'll buy some seed. So we call it seed bank. It will give you a bag of, let's say, rice to plant. At the end of the planting season, you return back the bag of rice we gave you, and then with an additional one bag of rice, so that the next planting season, we can give to other people. So we call it seed bank, and that started to grow from village to village. And everywhere we went, the gospel also came. Mm. And we were very intentional. And that started to multiply churches, disciples, and we started to see the most unlikely people coming to Jesus. We started to see which doctors giving their lives to Jesus. We started to see people who were uh, fundamentalists, you know, on the other side. You know, coming to Jesus. We started to see a lot of people, people who were deep into the African traditional religion, coming to know the Lord. Mm-hmm. And eventually that's how the process started to spread. And today we have thousands of churches all over the country. And we started to train partners to do the same. Yeah. And today from Sierra Leone, we have branched into several countries. Not only in Sierra Leone now, in Liberia, in Guinea, in all these difficult countries today. We have taken the gospel and we are seeing the same result happening in each of these communities, in each of these tribes. And we have been able, by the grace of God, to take the gospel to every facet. For example, the army. We have trained all the chaplains in the army in Sierra Leone, and they are planting churches. We took it to the police. We have the police also involved in church planting. The prison officers are planting churches. You know, uh, we have the guys who are in the ghettos, you know, that people who take drugs. We took the gospel to them right there. We made them disciples. And some of them stopped taking drugs. And today they are planting churches among their own people. We took it to the prisons. And we have seen how disciples have been made in the prison. And some of the guys are leading discipleship groups, prisoners leading discipleship groups in the prison. And those that are set free, 
When they leave the prison, they find a church where they will go. And we have some of them planting churches. So this became a culture and that's how it became, it spread and it became very contagious. Mm. And today we keep on doing it over and again. Mm. And God has done such a great thing with our intentionality and our faith and willingness to just serve him. For us, it is high impact, low visibility. Mm. High impact, low visibility. We want God to be seen. We don't want us to be seen. So it's all about him. So normally we will say, do not touch his glory. We will not touch the glory of God. It's all about God and it's all about his glory. That's incredible, Shadoke. I mean, take a breath, everybody. I mean, that's unbelievable. Uh, the intentionality and the strategy you guys put behind that is just, uh, it's, it's so impressive. I'm curious, I know we're going to talk prayer, about prayer and fasting, and we'll get there in a minute, but if, if one of us or just somebody in one of the villages ended up getting connected to one of your churches, what would it look like for them to become a disciple? Like, what is that process? Do they get in relationships right away? Do they get put into groups? Are they kind of taught some basic things that this is who you are, this is what you do? What, what does the disciple look like? Now, for us, what we do is that in our discipleship process, it's a process. And so one of the things we do, we have this uh, five steps. Number one, we don't go to any village or any tribe or any nation without first praying and fasting. So we have lists of tribes and villages or countries or cities. We list them all where we know that the Jesus option, they don't have the Jesus option. Our first priority is that we go for the high-hanging fruits, high-hanging fruit. Areas where there is no Jesus option, especially among the African traditional religion and among Islam. So we look for those areas and we list them down. And the first thing we begin to do is we begin to mobilize people to pray and fast for those communities. So we literally have their names and even the names of some of the leaders in those communities. We pray, we fast, we call it abundant prayer. We really spend time in praying, weeks, months, praying and fasting. Once we do that, and we are convinced that we've prayed enough, the next thing we try to do is to send foot soldiers on the ground in those communities, in those towns, or those cities, and they just go there and just praying around the community, praying around the village. We do prayer work a lot, just praying around. And some in Africa, most of the names have meanings. You know, in Africa, every name you see, at least there's a meaning to the name. African names have meaning. And so we try to, those names that we know, associated with darkness, we change the names in the spirit. We say, okay, this town shall be called a town of salvation. It shall no longer be a town of darkness. It will be a town of salvation. It will not be a town of the devil. It should be a town of redemption. So we rename most of these communities. And once while we are doing that, we also try to serve them. We say serve with purpose. What can we do to help this community? We go in and we serve them. We serve them with love. We demonstrate love. Because one of the things that is very important in making disciples is the power of love. Love is very important. Intentional love, genuine love. So we serve them. While we are serving them, they will always know the difference. And they ask the question, you are different. Mm. What makes you different? Mm -hmm. You know, you are just loving. What makes you? And then that is an opportunity for us to begin to tell the story, which is a Jesus story. Yeah. And once we serve with purpose, we'll find a person of peace. We are very intentional in finding a person of peace. A person of peace is a person that God has prepared ahead of you. While you were praying for that village or that tribe or that city, you know, God in his faithfulness, he promised his disciples, 
I will never leave you. I will always be with you to the end. And so that promise, God always keeps his own side of the promise. So when you see when he sent his disciples in Matthew 10, in Luke 9, we realize that he told them, go to a town. Anytime you go to find a worthy person, when you find a worthy person, stay in the home of that worthy person. So that worthy person is what we call a person of peace. Mm -hmm. God always provides a person of peace. We keep all the records that we have of all our persons of peace, male, female, their religious background. We have all of that on our records, on our data. Everyone, all the communities we've gone to. And so when we find the person of peace, 80% of our persons of peace, we are not believers in Jesus before. They were either former Muslims or African traditional religions. And so those persons of peace is surprising how they open the door for you. Some of them will even invite you to stay in their home. So once we find the person of peace, we say the work is half done. So we stay with the person of peace or family of peace. We create a relationship of trust. And once there is trust, we begin to tell the story. One of the things I want to encourage everyone that is making disciples, the word of God has, is powerful. It can do its own work. You are just telling the story, telling the story of the Bible. The word goes into effect in the hearts of the people. Mm. It begins to convict them. And in that conviction, you know, some of them will have several questions. And you continue to push them back into the word of God. So once we do that, then we start this, what we call discovery Bible studies. We begin to do okay. discovery Bible studies. A discovery Bible study is a Bible study where, you know, you, you, the people discover for themselves, you know, the principles of God, the principle of Jesus, biblical principle for themselves out of the Bible. Right. So you are just a facilitator. They listen to you, you listen to them, you read the Bible, and you ask the question, and they respond to the question. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So we have seen people, I have seen people who've never read the Bible, we give them the Bible for the first time to read, and they read like six, seven verses, and we ask them, what do you think the Bible is saying? And it will be surprising what they come up with. Over the years, what I've done is that I have done discovery Bible studies with highly educated people and they have written down everything that they are learning. I've done discovery Bible studies with people who are partially educated and those who are completely literate. And when I compare all those notes, it's surprising to see how the Holy Spirit is working through them. So you see, the, the God, the Holy Spirit goes to work. Once we do the discovery Bible studies and the people are baptized, we start a church. And we will not start only a single church. With churches planted, if the tribe is big enough, then we, that church begins to give back to another church, and the other church gives back to another church, and that's how the multiplication process begins. And by the time you realize within the same tribe, some of the tribes have 50, 60 churches, because some of the tribes are big. Some of them are like half a million. Some of them are one million. Some of the tribes are three million. Some of them are like one of the largest tribes we are working in. It's more than 15 million. You know, so it's scattered in different countries. So we multiply the churches among those tribes in different areas. And so by doing that, what happens is that you create a movement. Mm -hmm. That's where the church planting movement comes in, or disciple-making movement. Right. You know, for us, it's 100 churches, four generations deep. Mm. 100 churches, four generations deep. That if you alone plant 100 churches, we don't call it a movement. But when you train a ch disciples who plant a church right. and the disciple plant or churches planting churches, it becomes hundred within a tribe. We call it a movement. Yeah. 
So at that time, it's out of control. It's not in your hand any longer. But we keep on doing, one of the things we concentrate on is coaching. A lot of coaching, a lot of mentorship, a lot of training. We're always training and coaching people so that, you know, down the road, you know, there will not be any genetic defect in what we are doing. Mm -hmm. To avoid error and mm -hmm. anything that would degradation that will happen mm -hmm. down the road. So that is what we do. So we repeat the process among tribes, in cities, in nations. So today, we have churches in cities, very big cities. We have churches in villages. We have churches in towns. And all of them are using the same principle. You know, so that is what God is doing. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable to hear what God is doing. And, and I think as Shadonke is speaking today, like now the gap has gotten this wide, right? We started here and now we're here. So how we see and do church to how you have been experiencing and doing church. And that's beautiful. And so what I want us to do is now bring that gap back together. Because I think the linchpin in all of it is this idea of prayer and fasting. You already alluded to it. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time there. I've heard from you, Shadonke, and others that are leading disciple-making movements that the reason that we don't see the same type of fruit and growth and movement here in the West is because we don't pray and fast like the rest. Is that true? Is that how you see it? Well, I, I tell people the, the, what are the bedrock or the foundation for a, a, a disciple-making movement if we want to see movement, multiple churches being planted. Uh, one of the, the starting points is really prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is critical to the process. Because how do we know this? When you look at the life of, lifestyle of Jesus, if Jesus is our example, if Jesus is our model, then we have to look at his lifestyle. When you read Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 2, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 2, you see that Jesus did not start his ministry. The Bible said he was led into the wilderness and where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. In both of these verses, and in, in Luke, Luke says that when he came down from the fasting, you know, he, he came down in, with power. Now, the thing here is that if you go back to John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, reading from verse 1, he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And there was nothing that was made that was not made through him. And down those verses, he said, but the word became flesh and dwelt among men. Now, the issue here is that, and he even says that darkness tried to comprehend the word, but darkness could not comprehend the word. So it means, if Jesus is the word, and then in Matthew and in Luke, the word, before starting his ministry, went to pray so much, and the word is my example, mm -hmm. then that is a principle that he is teaching us. And when we look at the lifestyle of Jesus, he prayed daily. He prayed daily. And he's the word. Why is he praying daily? Because the word became flesh. He's not in the flesh. He prayed daily. Not only that, Jesus prayed so much that his disciples looked at him and they said, Master, teach us how to pray. Now, we all know these guys were Jewish guys who mm -hmm. understood about right. prayer. Right. But the way, the lifestyle, the saw Jesus living, his prayer life was something that moved them. Mm -hmm. It was different from what they have been seeing with the other Pharisees and the Sadducees and what they have been seeing in the synagogue. So teach us how to pray. Remember, they did not say, Master, teach us the seven principles of prosperity. Mm -hmm. 
They did not say give us the 21 principles of leadership. They said teach us how to pray. And he taught them how to pray. We also see that almost every miracle that Jesus did, he prayed before he did it. I mean, let's look at the, the, the 5,000 loaves and the 4,000, depending on uh, the gospel you are reading from. Why did he need to pray? He should have just said, bread, come forth, and the bread will come. But he lifted that load off and prayed. Mm-hmm. And in that transition, from putting his hands down, multiplication happened. Jesus prayed so much that even when his friend Lazarus died, he went to the graveside. Jesus would have just stood there and said, Lazarus, come out. But no, he prayed to his father. And then he commanded Lazarus to come out. When he was going through agony, he went to the garden of Gethsemane. He took his disciples there. He said, stay with me for one hour. Pray with me for one hour while I go further and pray. He did not say, let us come here and begin to grumble about what is happening. Let's discuss. Let's have a discussion about what is going to happen to me. He said, pray with me. He went out to pray. Three times he went out to pray. In the difficult times, if it was us, we'll be discussing strategies of escaping. How can we escape? And all that. But he went out to pray. And even when he went to the cross, the first word of Jesus on the cross was prayer. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. His last word on the cross was prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If Jesus could pray so much, and I am a follower of Jesus, he has already given me a principle that I should stand on if I am going to succeed in what he has called me to do. So that is why I am convinced, and we, as we train disciples, that we start from the place of prayer and fasting. Mm. And we make sure, and the reason also is that You see, when we go out to make disciples or plant churches, there are three things that has to submit to God. Number one, the disciple maker himself has to submit. We are human beings and we go out, there are times we are overcome by frustration because our, we have set all our goals and things are not going the way we want it and we tend to be frustrated. There are times we, we bleed on the sheep. We bleed on them with our frustration. But the thing here is that so the disciple maker needs to submit. Your heart needs to submit to God. And one way that you can submit your heart to God is through prayer and fasting. Mm. That God, I submit to you. The, the heart of man is rebellious. It's dark. The Bible said it's dark and desperately wicked. Who can describe it? So the disciple maker... Your heart needs to submit to God completely. But secondly, the disciple themselves, the people you are going to, that you intend to make disciples, they themselves need to submit to God. Their hearts need to submit to God. You know, Jesus said, if he is not calling them, they are not coming. He said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So their hearts, you have to pray that the hearts of the disciples are submitted. God, this tribe, this city, This nation I'm going to, this set of people that I'm reaching out to God, I pray that their hearts will be submitted. So in your prayer and fasting, you are praying for submission of heart. And the third set of things that need to submit, the spirits. You see, Jesus made it very clear. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. In Ephesians chapter 6, I think verse 12. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities and powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness. You know, authorities and rulers in higher places. 
That is what we are coming against. Anytime you go to a village, to a community, you are, even in the city, you are going to a sector or a segment of the population, know that you are coming against principalities and powers. And so they are going to fight back. They are not going to sit down and congratulate you. Well done. <laughs> oh, welcome. welcome. No, 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 no. They are going to fight back. That's why, you know, the Bible says we should fight the good fight of faith. Mm-hmm. It's a fight, but it's a good fight. And you need to pray in prayer and fasting that those spirits, those powers, those authorities in those areas, we submit to yeah. God. And one of the greatest instruments to use to bring them into submission is prayer and fasting. So it is very critical. So every place we want to go, we ask God, let the disciple makers, let the church planters, let their hearts themselves be submitted to you. Yeah. Shadonke, our world is, is looking for something that the world can't offer. And that's where the spirit comes in. And I know, and I sat with you yesterday at lunch, and uh, I want you to share with, uh, with us a little bit today, like what are some of the things that you are seeing as a result of prayer and fasting? Like where is the spirit, the spirit breaking out in power in, in your ministry? Like tell us a little sample of what that's looking like. You know, uh, when we submit to God in prayer mm-hmm. and in fasting, God is such a faithful God. Every promise he has made in his word, he would do it. You know, if we step out in obedience and faith. I tell people, there's nothing you can sacrifice in the place of obedience. There's nothing. God will not accept any other sacrifice in the place of obedience. Stepping out in faith. So when we, because of as we pray and fast, depending on God and the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have seen people delivered from satanic bondages and powers. If somebody is a witchcraft, let's say a witchcraft doctor, and he has been doing this for 40 years, 50 years, and he has following, he has influence. I mean, everybody, they respect him. He's getting money out of it. He has no reason to come and follow Jesus with all the influence. But we have seen witchcraft doctors who have influence, big change. And what is changing them? There is an outside force outside of them, bigger than what they are carrying, that submits them to the world. So we have seen a lot of witch doctors. And you, if you visit us in Sierra we will show you so many people who are coming from that background. And they will share their testimonies. The powers they carried when they were in the darkness and how they left everything to follow Jesus. What is drawing them? It is the power of God. We have also seen we had uh, former rebels, people who are fighting with guns, commanders who carried such powers, you know, because they had guns fighting. We've seen them submit to God. We have seen people on the other side, our cousins, because we're on this platform, you know, our cousins on the other side, who are radical, who hated the church, who hated Christians. We have seen God convict their hearts mm. and they becoming disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we have seen villages and towns where there was no Jesus option. We call it Jesus option. Where there was no Jesus option. Some of these villages, when we came into those villages, you see, everything we, we do, we keep records. I mean, we have, we have a team of people, their job is to keep records. For example, if we come to a town, we look at the shrines, all the small idols all over the town. We literally count how many shrines they have. 
And then the gospel enters into a community that will begin to make disciples. Maybe one family at a time, one family at a time. Six months down the road, you begin to see some of the shrines disappearing. And we don't tell them, take it away. They just, as they study the word, they realize that they begin to take, and with time, you don't find any shrine. Everything is gone. How did that happen? The power of prayer, the power of fasting, the word of God is working in the hearts of the people. So we normally have a, a, a form. We call it our entry and exit strategy. So, you know, you ask people when you enter, you find out, is there any Jesus option here? No, no Jesus option. How many shrines? You write 10, 15, 20. How many mocks? We write, we write all of these things down. And now when we enter into the community, six months, we go back and check what God is doing. One year, two years. And we see the transformation in the lives of the people. People who hated the church have become friends of the church. They themselves have been persecuted now, now that they are following Jesus. So we see acts happening right there in communities, in the lives of people. We see the most unlikely people that hated us becoming followers of Jesus and advocating for the church. Then also we have seen miracles of how God is healing people, deliverance from all type of, I mean, all type of stuff that people have carried in their lives. Just prayer. And all we do is that by the grace of God, I've been able to train so many disciples and leaders, men and women, young men. All they do is to lay hands and pray. That's it. Hmm. Just quote the word of God. Go over the word of God. Lay hands. And this other group will come and lay hands. And we have this chain prayer that we do from six in the morning, six to seven, nine, you know, to ten, twelve to one, three to four, six to seven, nine to nine to eight. I mean, ten at night, twelve to one. So there's this chain prayer. Mm -hmm. So people will just lay hands or lay hands on pictures and just pray. Mm -hmm. That's all what they do in all our prayer areas. Just believe in God. Anytime we pray, we thank God in advance for answered prayer. We just believe that he answered prayer. So we have seen healing. Mm -hmm. We have seen people brought from the hospital to our prayer centers and with medical doctors saying there's nothing we can do about this. And God healing them. And they are with us. We have seen people who suffer from insanity. They bring them on chains. In chains. And some of them are from the other side. You know, Muslims or maybe Africans. God heals them. And now they become followers of Jesus. So we have seen all these powers of God. And so therefore, there's nothing any man can tell us. That God is not alive because we have seen it with our eyes. Like John said, we have seen it, we have touched it, we have tasted it. And now we proclaim and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes, Lord. Man, give us more of that. That's incredible. <laughs> My goodness. So let's break it down like one more level than Shadonka. You already alluded to this a little bit. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray. They knew how to pray. I mean, these guys went to synagogue. They were in Hebrew school. They had prayed their whole lives, but they didn't know how to pray like he prayed. There was something different about the way Jesus prayed that said, we want that. And I think we're sitting here today and we're saying to you, Shadonke, teach us how to pray like that. How did you learn to pray like that? What informed you? Who trained you? What did that look like? Yeah, I, I had some few people in my life that you know, I, I really learned from, and um, uh, both of them are not alive, you know, they, they've gone and they're with the Lord. But 
They invested so much in my life in going for prayer retreats. Uh, we went to the mountains, have some quiet time. All we did was to pray, pray for hours, fasting for days without food. Mm. There are times we fast without food and water. You know, that's something that will surprise people. But it's something I do almost every year. You know, we, and I started also training my own disciples how to do this. But the, we have this philosophy. We start small to end big. Mm. You don't start big to end small. So we, you know, we started telling people, well, you can fast for maybe four hours or five hours. You know, and gradually people said, that's okay. I think I can do that. And then gradually, because it, when, when it, you begin to practice things, gradually it begins to become a habit. Mm-hmm. And it becomes your lifestyle, a habit, and then it becomes your culture. So, but it's going to start step by step. It becomes your lifestyle, your habit, and then your culture. Once it becomes a culture, you really don't need anybody to tell you. It comes out naturally. And so that's how we have been able to train. Some people, they started to pray. We tell them, okay, we can just pray for 10 minutes. And 10 minutes, they said, ah, 10 minutes is small. It's easy. Anybody can do that. Even people from the other side will say, it's it's small. And they do 10 minutes. And gradually we tell them, can you push it to 20 minutes? And they do it. 30 minutes. 40 minutes, and we time decided to pray for one hour, two hours, and the time we fly like that. Mm-hmm. And now it become part of them, and we say, turn around and see, see how you can take it to your family. Mm-hmm. See how you can begin to coach, because we are very intentional. For me, when I do trainings and coaching, if you don't practice what we train you, you will not come back for my next training. Mm. You don't let them come back. No, 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 no. Yeah. So I tell them up front, when we, I go to tribes and I train the pastors and the leaders to multiply, I tell them, if you don't practice this, I'm not coming back to this tribe. That is for me, that's the only qualification so that I will continue to come. So eventually, we, that's how we teach people. You start with the baby step. Hmm. I tell people God had the, the power, God had the ability and the capacity to create the whole world in one day. He had the capacity to say, world coming to being and everything would have happened one day. But he did it step by step. Because God is a God of principles. He's teaching us something. You know, that we, as, as human beings, we can follow his principles to start small. He started very small. And by the time the sixth day was finished, everything came together. And that is the same way as we raise disciples. We don't push them in the middle of the Atlantic when they have not started, they've just started their swimming classes. The 10 chances to one, they are going to drown. So we encourage them to start small. You can be three hours of fasting. Like some of them, we challenge them. Start by midnight and by 12 in the morning, you break the fast. Oh, that is easy. Because they are sleeping from 12 anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fine. Create a game you can win. I like it. And gradually, but that's how it begins to become their DNA. Mm -hmm. It becomes part of their life. And it becomes their culture. We have done it for people here. So those are some of the baby steps. Mm-hmm. And we pray at the same. You can read scriptures as you are praying. Mm-hmm. Because some people don't know how to pray. But we tell them, okay, you can read this scripture. You can read this scripture. As you are praying, you can read this scripture. And eventually as you continue to do it step by step, you begin to grow. Yeah. And you love it. And as you see it, what God is doing, most times we also encourage them, write down, what are you believing God for? What are you praying and fasting for? Write it down on the paper. He told Abakok, write the vision. Let it be playing on a tablet. So those who read it will run with it. Write it down. Mm. 
These three things, and then go to God in prayer. Mm. When the Lord begins to do it, you just take it. Take it. When you see the move of God, you know that, oh, you know, God can hear my own prayer. So that creates confidence and increases your faith that you can do this. So we live in a culture uh, here in the United States where I know you're very familiar now. Instant gratification. People get anything they want whenever they want. And that fights directly against um, the idea of fasting. And so, Shadonke, I'm, I'm curious, um, in your view, like, what is so special about fasting? What does it do to us? What does it do in us? that practice of fasting? Because I think it's very foreign to a lot of our people. Yeah, I, I know very well, you know, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, he says we are living a jet set age. Everything is going fast. Yeah. You know, fast food, fast cars, everything <laughs> is fast. And I tell people I will not be surprised one day if we will have an invention that they will put in our, you have to put it in your feet and so you can go fast also. Because <laughs> everything is moving fast. Yeah. But one thing is that one thing we should realize is that everything is moving fast but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. When we are dealing with God, God has not changed. He knew these things would happen. He knew in the last day knowledge would increase. Mm. But he see God. He still at our pace. And if you want to be submissive to God, if you want to move in line with the word of God, then you have to, this is God's business. We have to do it God's own way. It's different from a corporate business. It is God's business. So because it is God's business, we use the godly manual. And when you use the godly manual, you learn the godly principle, how to do it. And if you do it that way, then you will receive the reward. So eventually, I know it's a, but those who want to, who are hungry enough, who are thirsty enough to see God move in their own lives, in their families and in their communities or their churches have to do it the God's way. So um, my own encouragement here is that, yes, everything is going fast, but do you want to do things that are in line with God? Mm. Then you have to move with God. Mm. I normally encourage people, when you are dealing with God, you don't run ahead of God. If you run ahead of God, you will not hear his voice. And don't run behind God. If you run behind God, you will not hear his voice and you will not see his face. You have to run side by side with God so that you see his face and you hear his voice. And that is what God is calling us to do. That we run side by side with him. And in part of doing that is to take those steps, gradual steps. I declare three hours of fasting. I'm praying also as I'm doing that. I have what I call, uh, what we call power prayer. Mm. You can be still doing your work and you're praying. Father, I thank you for this great day. I thank you for my family and my children and for my neighbors. God, I pray that you move in a wonderful way in my own life, my family and my neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. That is power prayer. After some time, Father, I worship you and I glorify you. What a great God you are. Father, I pray for our church that, Father, you move. Let the disciple make a movement. Move heavily in our church. Bless our pastor and all our leaders in Jesus' name. After some time, God, we glorify you. What a great God. I bow down before you, Father. God, you are so awesome. You are a great God. Father, I just pray for a breakthrough. All the strongholds in our lives in the church, break it in Jesus. So we call it power prayer. You can do that 15, 20 times a day. 
And God, even, in the, even when you are so busy, you can do those things. And your God in heaven will hear you. Mm. So that is also another way. When people sit down to eat, one of the things I celebrate about this culture is that the African culture, we love to eat. We love to eat. The American culture <laughs> is an eating culture. <laughs> you know, people are always eating something. Mm-hmm. Especially when you sit around the table to eat. You can take two minutes. Lord, thank you, Father, for the opportunity to have a food like this. But Lord, I pray that there will be disciple-making movement in the nation of America. Mm-hmm. Touch hearts, mm-hmm. God. Touch the leaders and move with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, bless this food now in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. So we coach all our disciples, all these type of prayers in every area. So when they begin to pray this prayer and you have hundreds and thousands of people praying this prayer, God has no alternative but to move. Yeah, yeah, that's good. He has no alternative but to move. Mm. So it is, it is very important, even when we are living in the jet set age, mm-hmm. that, that God can fit into anything. He can fit into anything. The thing here is that we don't believe that God, we can fit God into what we are doing. That's our problem. We think we are too busy. In your business, you can fit God in it. He can be in it. Because we have seen people who are so busy, but God is still using them. So tell us more about what it looks like for you. So like, I, I love your heart for prayer and I, we want to learn from you. That's why we're here. So... We might not be there yet. We'll talk a little bit more, maybe circle back on baby steps. But what does it look like for you today, tomorrow, the next day? What does prayer and fasting look like in the regular rhythms of your life, besides those little power prayers throughout yes. the day? We, we have, we have um, what we call our prayer path. Okay. You know, we have our prayer path. And what we do, what the Lord has developed, you know, has impressed in our hearts over the years by the leading of the Holy Spirit is that, for example, every Wednesday, once a week, all of us in the movement, we fast. We pray once a week. For the whole day or for a meal? For the whole day. The whole day. It's huh? a whole day fasting. Mm. And um, so that is going on. And then we'll meet in the evening, late at night. And we'll do what we call power night. Our power night is just to pray <laughs> to God. We pray for movement. We pray for open doors. We pray for tribes that are being oppressed by the powers of darkness. We pray for these other religions that there will be breakthrough. We pray for our partners around the world. Whatever they are doing, whether it's business, their families, we have so many prayer points that people said. We pray for their kids, their homes. So mm. that's what we call the power night. Mm. We do that. And then also, at the beginning of every month, the last day of the month, we have what we call open heaven prayer. By 12 to 1, within that time, 12 midnight to 1, when you, like we are coming to the new month, we have what we call open heaven. All family members are encouraged. They will either in their porch or in their living room, they will just pray for 30 minutes or one hour. They are praying. And then the first day of every month, we call it Daniel prayer. From 6.30 to 7.30, you have thousands of people praying all over the place. We call it Daniel prayer. And then also, we have half night prayers. Half night prayers are prayer that starts from 8 to 12 midnight. So we are praying once a month, there's a half night prayer from 8 to 12 midnight. There are people praying all over the place. And then we have whole night prayer once a month. Mm. The whole night prayer starts from 10 p.m. to 6 in the morning. So there are people praying from 10 to 6 in the morning. At the end of every year, 
the last three days of the year, we do what we call Esther fasting. We fast with, without food and water. Three days, no food, no water. We meet in different places and we are praying. First, we are thanking God for what he has done for us that year. And we are submitting the new year to God. So we call it Esther fasting. So you see young people, old people, we just meet in different centers, different prayer hubs for three days. No food, no water. And we are praying all throughout the clock. We are praying six to seven, nine, six to seven, and then nine to 10, 12 to one. We are going through, but we are still fasting and praying. Are you coming together or are in they- different in, in different areas. Yes, in different areas. So you send out word to the people in your yes. movement, this is when we're gonna pray and you expect our exactly. to pray. Okay. They all know that. Yeah. And then in the beginning of a new year, most times by the 11th, we start our fasting for January. It's 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days. In January. This year, mm-hmm. we did 90 days. We started from the 11th of January and we ended on the 11th of April. We just finished the 90 days. So we, we also do that. Mm-hmm. And then we have what we call prayer mobilization. So for example, we we'll come to a community like this. We talk to all the leaders, the local leaders, and we just mobilize them. So we just want to pray for the community. Mm-hmm. So we call it prayer mobilization. So we have these different prayer mobilizations happening in different places, in different areas. And none of these people are being paid. These are all just volunteers. Some of them are busy. They are military people, politicians, business people. But they have time to come to pray. So we do all of this. So that's what we call the abundant prayer. So everything is soaked in prayer. We have uh, what we call the uh, morning devotional prayer times. In almost every home you will see. Families meeting together with their neighbors and they are praying in the morning. Most times it starts by 6 to 6.30 in the morning. There are people praying all over the place. So this, by doing this and this prayer and fasting, and people have their individual quarterly fasting and prayer, and I have individual, on top of that, times of praying and fasting. You know, there are times, as I speak to you right now, the intercessors are, are praying and fasting because I'm here and praying for this. They will not stop until I go back. When I get back and they will stop. So we have all this other prayer and fasting, just people praying and yeah. fasting for movement, for partners, for churches, for the advancement of the kingdom, for persecution that the Lord will, because people are going through a lot of persecution in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. That in the midst of persecution, we'll continue to show love to the people who are persecuting us. Some people have lost their lives in the process of doing this in other countries. We keep on praying for them, for God's provision, for open doors, that God will open the door for us, for God will break the powers of darkness. So these are all the things we are praying for, yeah. that God will go ahead of us, so that he will do the work ahead of us, that we will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that God will do miracles, you know, signs and wonders. Yeah. All of yeah. these are the things we pray for on a constant basis that mm. we pray for. Mm. So that is what it looks like for us. <laughs> That's so inspiring, Shadonke. When do you get up every day to pray? What does prayer look like in your day? For me personally, almost every day I get up by three. Um, and I begin my day by three. There are times I go to bed, depending on where I am, maybe nine or ten within that time. And I get up by three. And when I get up by three, the first thing I begin to do, I bow down before the Lord. And I thank the Lord because I'm alive in the land of the living. Hmm. I say, God, thank you because I'm alive. Because there are so many people who went to bed like me and did not get up. Hmm. You know, so I thank the Lord and then I begin to worship. Hmm. I, I write a lot of local worship songs and I begin to just worship the Lord. And I begin to worship the Lord and I begin to adore him, do some confessions on my own personal behalf, 
confession on behalf of my family, my children, my wife, and, uh, and then on behalf of all my disciples, wherever they are, I don't know what they are doing. You know, I ask the Lord to forgive them. Our partners will ask God whatever they are doing that is not in line, whether it's um, the sin of omission, the things they are supposed to do that they fail to do, we ask God to forgive them. So we go through all that confession, and then now we be- I begin to intercede. To pray for people, pray for situation, pray for movement. I pray for my disciples every day. Mm. Every day I pray mm. for them. Pray for their families, pray for their children. Praying that God will protect them, you know. And so I do that prayer. Pray for our partners. So we, we, I do all of that prayer. So normally I will end with a prayer. There are times I do, I even forget to pray about for myself. <laughs> I just commit the rest to God because the Lord takes care of that. And when I finish, I go into the world. I, by the grace of God, I try to read at least anything from four to ten chapters a day of the Bible. Spend enough time in the Word of God. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Read the Word. And I read it loud to myself. And when I finish that, like if I'm back home, by 6.30, we have our family devotion. Now, we, today, that family devotion has become a church. Because lots of people started to come to the devotion. And then we have a, from 6.30 to 7 is a devotion. I will go back into my prayer room and read a little bit and then go to the office. We get to the office by 8.30. We, our devotion, every office that we walk, there's devotion happening there. 8.30 to 9, mm. we have our devotion. And then we begin to walk. By 12, we stop everything and go into prayer. 12 to 12.30 12 to 1, we pray. And then we we'll go for lunch. And when we want to go off work, maybe by four or five, we also hold our hands and pray, thanking God for what he has done for the day, and we ask God to take us home. And at night before we go to bed, we spend time with the family and do prayers also. And then the day begins again. So that is naturally my routine. And in between, I have my power prayers, you know, like even leaving the... The hotel coming here, you know, in the car was, thank you, Father, for mm-hmm. a new day. Thank you, Lord. We know you are going to do a great thing today. Thank you in Jesus' name. So in between, there's this power prayer that I'm doing and praying between the Spirit. So it's, that's... It sounds a lot like praying without ceasing to me. <laughs> <laughs> it is so convicting and it's so inspiring, is it not? I mean, it's so convicting. Thank you for, for sharing. Yeah, we can celebrate, celebrate that. It's an honor. It's an honor to to sit with you and be encouraged by you. I know you've talked a little bit already about um, next steps and just real brief again, maybe just a challenge or a word to the people who are here today. What is something they can do to take a a real meaningful step into the arena of prayer and fasting? If you could just tell them, do this one thing, what what would you tell them? I I think for me, one of the first things I would encourage you is really to come to the place of faith. Mm. Believe God and trust him for everything. I know here people have everything, so they're asking, what can I believe God for? Mm. But in the midst of the abundance, you can still believe God. Mm. And so believe God that he can use you. If not anything, that he can use you as an instrument of change in the midst of the abundance. You can start from there. That he can use your family. Mm. Faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mm. You know, it's the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. So you start from the place of faith, believing God, and then begin your baby step in prayer and fasting. You can start with 10 minutes, 20 minutes. That you know, God, I will give you 20 minutes. Use 20 minutes. You can start with three verses in the Bible, four verses, just read them. Or a chapter, depending on your reading skill. You can start from that point. 
And then after three months, you begin to increase. I'm going to do 20 minutes in prayer in the morning. I will always encourage people, don't wait until all the phone calls begin to come in. Mm. Start very early in the morning. <laughs> when the phone calls are not coming, because the phone, as good as it is, has also become an instrument of distraction. Yeah, yeah. When everything is quiet, it's a good time to yeah. start. So that is where I will encourage you to start. And believe God. And write down what you are believing God for. Write it down on a paper. That God, I'm believing God for this and this and this and this. Why I'm taking this journey with you. Yeah. Write it down. Because you will begin to see how God is manifesting it. And anytime God answers a prayer, you tick it. You tick it. The songwriter say, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it surprises you what the Lord has done. Mm. So it's very important to do that. I do that all the time. And I've seen how God has done all these great things. Yeah. So with that, always be thankful to God. Whenever you see God moving, be grateful to him. Yeah. And I want to also encourage you, as you do all of this, and you see God using you, you touching souls, people coming to, to salvation, people responding to the gospel because you have been praying for them, fasting, families being saved. Please, the devil has his temptation. Mm. The temptation is that you want to take the glory. Mm. You want to tell, it's me. Remember, it is not you. Don't touch his glory. Amen. Don't touch his glory. I will give you this illustration and I will stop. One day, there was this big frog. The frog wanted to fly. There was a big fire in the neighborhood. And there was this frog. You know, he was there trying to jump, run away from the fire. And he saw this big eagle. The eagle bird was there. And he said, Mr. Eagle, are you not afraid of the fire? The fire is coming. The eagle said, Mr. Frog, I'm not afraid of the fire because I can fly. And the frog said, oh, I am really pitiful because I cannot fly. I'm going to die in this fire. And the frog said, please, can you help me, Mr. Eagle? The eagle said, how can I help you? The frog said, I have an idea. He said, if you can take a rope and you hold the rope on your beak and I will also grab the rope with my mouth. So when you fly, I will be flying with you. And the, and the eagle said, it's a bright idea. And so he went and got the rope. And all of a sudden, the eagle grabbed the rope with his beak. And the eagle started to fly. And the frog was flying too. And when they came over this town, everybody came out and said, come and see one of the wonders of the world. The frog is flying. And everybody was clapping for them. So they got to a place and the people were saying, whose idea is this? Whose idea is this? And the frog, you know, wanted to take the praise, said, it's me. It's, as he opened his mouth, he realized that the rope was, and the frog came down and he fell down. From that day, the frog never flew again. You know, he said, it's me. It's me. There are times where we, the enemy will push us like the frog to say, it's me. It's not you. It's all about him, about his glory, about his honor. So don't touch his glory. What a good word. What a good word. Uh, I know we're at time. Shadonke, could you just give a quick, brief prayer asking God to increase our faith and help us take a step into prayer and fasting? Father in heaven, we thank you. We come before you today. Lord, I bring your sons and your daughters to you. I bring your servants to you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will release upon these children your sons and your daughters, your creation. I pray that they will hunger and thirst for you, that there will be a holy discontentment in their heart, 
They'll be hungry for you, Father. Father, I also pray in the name of Jesus that God, O oh Lord, you will use them. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. God, that you will use them, God, make their work extraordinary. Because, Father, we know that which is ordinary, when it is touched by God, becomes extraordinary. We pray in the name of Jesus that you will turn your face towards them, that you will be gracious to them, that, Father God, you will grant them peace in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, you will use these men and women, use their families, use their children. I pray, God, that they will become disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples. I pray that they will raise a generation of leaders, generation of disciples, even to the 10th generation, in the name of Jesus. Father, what you have done for us, what you did for your disciples of old, you have been doing it around the world. I pray that you will do it for these men and women in the name of Jesus. Father, touch every life. Anything that is a hindrance, we break it now in the name of Jesus. Every power of the enemy that we want to take this seed away from them, we break it in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of doubt and fear, we come against you now in the wonderful name of Jesus. Father God, let your word have power in their lives. Let the Holy Spirit, Father, use them and move them. Go ahead of them in their communities, in their churches, in their families, in their neighborhoods. Go ahead of them and Father, prosper them and bless them and the work that you have called them to do. I set them aside for your honor and your glory. We thank you, Jesus. We promise you, Father, as you use these men and women for your glory, for your kingdom, as you use them, we promise you, Father, we will not touch your glory. All glory belongs to you. All honor belongs to you. Breathe upon them now a new breath of life. Embrace them with your power and use them, Father, mightily. Father, we know when we pray, you answer us. Therefore, Father, I begin to thank you in advance for these men and women and the testimonies that we are bound because of this day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Yeah, show your appreciation to Shadonke. Thank you so much, brother, for blessing us. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the episode today, everybody. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Dave and Sydney Clayton from Ethos Church. I can't wait to dive into that episode. Every time they speak, I walk away with something new, something fresh from the Lord that really challenges me and moves me forward. So I can't wait to hear that. So make sure to hit subscribe on our channel if you haven't already to stay up to date on when we're releasing episodes so you'll know when that one comes out. Hey, in just a few days, we are hosting the City Tour here in Nashville. So if you haven't bought those tickets and you live close to Nashville, come on out. It's going to be at my church at Harpeth Christian Church. And I get the privilege of leading you guys in worship again this year. So I'm so excited about that. This is October 27th and 28th. So if you're listening to this fresh on this Monday morning, then you've got just a few more days to make plans to get here. And if it's already past those dates, I'm sorry you missed it, but we have more city tours coming to cities near you. So check out discipleship.org so that you know when we're going to be coming close so that you can come take part. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.